Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. But it doesn't need to be this whole thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat healthy now and I've got to clear out my cupboards and I need to buy all these new things and I need to restock everything and relearn everything or unlearn what I, the habits I had. But instead approach it from, okay, I'm going to start with this meal this week and then I'm going to build on that so that the changes and the transition is really sustainable. And that's ultimately what you want to do is find your place that you can maintain and then slowly but surely move that set point up and up and up until you're like, wait a second, what seemed like a stretch a year ago is now completely effortless. So where can I take it next? What's my next step to elevate how I'm feeling and what I'm doing in my, in my kitchen? Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I am so excited to share another incredible guest interview with all of you today, all about bringing nutrition into the kitchen. Today's guest is an extra special one because we actually have a personal connection. Megan was my entrance into the world of combining my culinary training with my love for nutrition. Nutrition. She introduced me to the world of holistic nutrition when I worked in her cooking studio way back in 2011, I think it was, when I started there. I taught my first cooking classes in her studio, and she was really my mentor for the first couple of years of kind of those really early stages of thinking about starting a business and growing my business into 
this place it is today where many of you know there have been a lot of twists and turns and I'm really kind of coming back full circle into the culinary world now. So it is so cool to be able to talk to her and see how she has grown this incredible empire over the last, I think it's been 13 years that she has been in business. She has an academy that she calls the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, where she trains nutrition professionals to teach others how to eat in a way that is nourishing to their body, but also delicious, which you guys know is what I am all about and what I love to teach and what I love to talk about. And she has a really unique and fun and colorful way of sharing about nutrition. And one of the things I loved the most in our conversation was we really got practical and we talked about some of the really small but effective things that we can do to bring more nutrition into our kitchen, into our everyday lives. She shares some of her daily and weekly routines for taking care of herself and her family and how she's introduced these nutrient-dense foods to her son, Finn, and how her and her husband really balance their lives, both in eating and cooking in a way that feels good and also taking the time they need to take care of themselves. So I think we really had a well-rounded conversation on what it means to nourish ourselves and to take care of ourselves, especially in this kind of crazy world that we've been in in the last year how important it is to prioritize these things, but how simple it can actually be and how we can very easily make food that is healthy for us, food that is nutrient dense, really delicious without overcomplicating it and without it feeling overwhelming and without it feeling stressful. So I think this conversation is going to be a breath of fresh air for those of you who might hear the term culinary nutrition and go, oh my gosh, she must make all of these like crazy elaborate dishes and with all these crazy ingredients ingredients, but really she breaks it down that it can be really simple. And she talks about her meal planning routine and how she keeps her kitchen stocked to eat in a way that feels good. And so I just, I had so much fun chatting with her. It was so fun to reconnect. And I know that you guys are all going to love the practical advice that she gives today. So for those of you who are not yet familiar with Megan, I'm sure many of you are, but Megan Telpner is a Toronto-based bestselling author, nutritionist, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, which has grown a global community of thousands of graduates in over 70 countries. Her best-selling books, Undiet, Eat Your Way to Vibrant Health, and The Undiet Cookbook are creating a revolution in how people think about their health. Megan has been featured in Forbes, ranked as one of the top 100 female entrepreneurs in Canada, and named Best Holistic Nutritionist in 2017 and 2018 with National Nutrition. Megan lives in Toronto with her husband, Josh Gutelis, a functional medicine practitioner, and their four-year-old son. So without further ado, I can't wait for you to listen to our conversation. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you. I've been so excited to chat with you. It's been too long. Yes, it has. Oh my gosh. Well, we were just chatting, but this is like the most fun for full circle moment for me over here. Um, so I'm sure I shared it in the intro, but my start in the, I guess, culinary nutrition world, so to speak, happened in Megan's little studio kitchen in Toronto. I was 
fresh out of culinary school. And so I interned with her for a while. I worked in the kitchen for a while. I taught my first ever cooking classes in her kitchen, which is crazy because now it's been like almost a decade that I've been teaching cooking classes. Um, And I got to be a part of like the first ever culinary nutrition expert program, which was actually in your kitchen. And then you also helped me get started as a natural foods personal chef, which is something that I did for several years until we moved out of the city. Um, And a lot of my listeners know about that as well. So having you as a mentor for those first couple of years was incredible. And so now being able to interview you and see this like incredible empire you've grown since then is just so fun. So I'm just so excited you're here. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited too. And I have to tell you because first of all, we miss your personal chef work. We still, we're still like, we need a Kristen rug around here. And I don't, I don't even know if you were married yet. You were married, just married. Maybe. Like newly married. Yeah. I think it was like right. the first year. Yeah. But Josh and I, we were, cause we were moving. So we were packing some stuff up and I found the menu you had printed out because Josh had you prepare a meal on the night he proposed to me. It was like yes. this whole surprise. And we found the little menu you'd printed up. We're like, Oh, she was so great. And you catered our honeymoon, which was six days at the cottage. And you prepared all the food for that week away too. Oh my gosh. I miss it a little bit. It's too hard to do with kids now, but uh, I love what I do now. (laughs) Yes. That that was so fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I don't even think we need an icebreaker, but I have a fun icebreaker that I love to ask my guests. So I'm going to ask you just to kind of kick things off. What are you reading right now, Megan? In, you know, all the time you have. (laughs) I am... (laughs) I read multiple books at a time. Um, I'm reading for the second time the book Mind to Matter by Dawson mm-hmm. Church. I'm reading, I'm also reading, I just started Jay Shetty's book. Um, mm-hmm. Can't remember the name right now. And I'm reading, so because of the overwhelm of life, <laughs> as we're all experiencing, I'm reading a book. I can't remember the name of it right now. Something Calla Lily. It's by the same author uh, who wrote the Yaya Sisterhood, which was a book that brought me a lot of joy when I was maybe 15. Um, and there was another book. out. So those are three that I'm in right now. Oh, I love that. So some more mind provoking books and then one that's just a little bit more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I got into reading a lot more for fun during the whole pandemic situation as well. Cause you just, you need those little escapes that you can take in your house. <laughs> yes. In your own mind. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. So I'm sure that many of my listeners are are already familiar with you and your work. You're a holistic nutritionist and an entrepreneur and the founder of a not so little anymore online nutrition school that, like I mentioned, I was lucky to be a part of in the very early stages. So what inspired you to start this all? What inspired you to start the Academy of Culinary Nutrition? Yeah. So my experience was getting into health and nutrition was through my own health crisis, where I was basically given no options um, through the conventional approach to this autoimmune disease I'd been diagnosed with. And so that was what inspired me to take to the kitchen, not really knowing how to cook. But I felt like if I could make it fun and engaging and inclusive and have people join me in my little Toronto loft for these cooking classes, I would learn as I went. And really, it was about building these relationships and building this community, which is basically where you came in and you had all these skills I'd never known because you were a trained chef, which I was not. And so we started teaching these cooking classes in person and the demand for them grew and my skills grew and my knowledge and I kept learning. And um, 
that was really sort of the seed for what has become the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, where in 2013, I took the, well, what I was teaching here in person online. And in 2014, we launched it as a full school, the Academy. And since then, it's just continued to expand its reach um, and the impact we now have over 2,500 graduates in 70 countries. We have around 500 certified instructors teaching um, our classes in their own respective communities and now live online classes. And with what we've seen in the last year or so, uh, the demand for this has also just blown up, not just for online learning, which is what we've always done, but everyone is in their kitchen cooking more. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think everyone is realizing they need to take a little more responsibility and ownership over their health and want to cook healthfully for themselves and their families. And so it's really been um, a slow and steady though, you know, at times, you know, grinding and challenging growth experience to um, bring us to where we are today. Oh my gosh. I love that. And yeah, I agree. I think that, it's definitely been a really interesting season for a lot of people. And I actually started teaching um, some online cooking classes for the first time ever. I'd been teaching a ton of in-person cooking classes this past year. I had a friend who owns a local business and she was like, hey, can you come on and uh, share on our Facebook page? Because people are bored and they're, they don't know what to cook. And so it's incredible that you have all of these instructors around the world teaching these classes. And I, I think at this point, I think a lot of people have are like sick of eating junk food if they have been eating junk food and <laughs> they're like okay all right it's time i need to start feeling good so hopefully they're teaching them some of that as well <laughs> so i love that you know way back i know i remember being there in your kitchen with you in toronto years and years ago you've always been about making healthy eating accessible and also delicious um and now you're teaching other people to do the same and teaching other people to teach other people to do the same so i want to kind of start there and i want to talk about why you think cooking healthy feels so hard for people especially from someone who came to this from a place of not really knowing how to cook Right. Well, people love watching cooking shows for one. And if a cooking show was making an, an ridiculously simple meal, no one would tune in. So I think we come at it not knowing how to cook. That could be our own only exposure to home cooking, which is more complicated than it ever needs to be. And so I think that can be sort of a first barrier or layer of overwhelm. And then I think people believe that that to cook from scratch requires recipes and cookbooks and that you do have to make these more elaborate involved meals. And it really doesn't need to be that way at all. And the easiest way forward is to start with whatever is available locally and seasonally where you live, because it's going to be the most delicious and the most fresh, and you need to do the less to it to make it edible and delicious as part of a meal. And so if we can strip that back to not think that, okay, if I'm going to cook from scratch, I need 21 recipes to make my 21 meals out of the week. Instead, be like, okay, I know how to make these ones on my own without, you know, needing to think about it. I'm going to try one new recipe a week that I'm going to follow. And then maybe that gets added into the repertoire. And then slowly you introduce one and then another and then another. But it doesn't need to be this whole thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat healthy now and I've got to clear out my cupboards and I need to buy all these new things and I need to restock everything and relearn everything or unlearn what I, the habits I had, but instead approach it from, okay, I'm going to start with this meal this week. And then I'm going to build on that so that 
the changes and the transition is really sustainable. And that's ultimately what you want to do is find your place that you can maintain and then slowly but surely move that set point up and up and up until you're like, wait a second, what seemed like a stretch a year ago is now completely effortless. So where can I take it next? What's my next step to elevate how I'm feeling and what I'm doing in my, in my kitchen? Mm, I love that. I really love that approach. I think that there is so much this idea that we just have to overall overhaul everything and then there's that intimidation. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it's okay if you are cooking the same meals over and over again in the very beginning because your repertoire will grow, especially as your palate begins to grow and you start to include different foods. And so, yeah, I love that. And I'm all for the beauty of local and seasonal foods. I think that's something that I only grew up with in the summertime and because my dad had a beautiful garden, um, but we ate like, you know, the standard American diet. We ate a lot of, you know, blue box mac and cheese and things like that growing up. And so once I started eating food that was seasonal, I'm like, oh my gosh, asparagus is actually delicious when it's not like frozen and boiled. <laughs> so I love that. I love that you start there. You start with eating locally and seasonally and just start with that one meal and kind of go from there. So aside from starting with that one meal, and eating more locally and seasonally and just enjoying the the flavors of foods that you don't need to do too much to, not overcomplicating it. What do you think are some of the kind of really simple but really effective changes that people can make to improve their health when it comes to the food that they're cooking and the food that they're eating? That's a great question. And, you know, keeping that overwhelm in mind is important. And what I, what I recommend for people who are just starting, like if you've got the standard kitchen, you know, I know what kind of oil is probably there. I know what kind of salt you're probably using. I know you probably got some white sugar that's, that's being used. All of these things can easily be substituted with upgraded options. So instead of like the vegetable oil, the vat of vegetable oil, which, you know, is usually very clear in clear plastic, you can upgrade to maybe an olive oil or a, a quality butter or a quality coconut oil um, or an avocado oil. So you can get rid of the white processed oxidized oils that, you know, have free radicals that, you know, are not the best to be building what we need the fats for. So if our brain is made of fat, we want the best quality fats to be building that brain. Um, and then with the salt, so get rid of the processed iodized white salt and just switch it for a sea salt. And then with the sugar, get some natural sweeteners in. So you're now not reshaping your entire diet, you're just upgrading the quality of the ingredients you're using while eating the very same things. So that would be a very simple first step. And then the second step is looking at, okay, you know, if I'm making a spaghetti with meat sauce, a spaghetti bolognese, like, so I'm using this white pasta. Can I get a better pasta? Can I get a better quality tomato sauce? Wait, could I make my own sauce for this? And then you start to like, okay, this is fun. This is fun. Like I'll make my own pasta sauce. And you know what? Maybe I'll do a double batch and then freeze some. And then I've got my next meal ready. And so it's really looking at these ways that you can mindfully upgrade without thinking that you need to totally reshape it. And so I would first look at the simple substitutions you can make where you're not actually having to change your eating habits or change what you're making, but really just changing how you're making them. Yeah, I love that. And you know, looking back at my own journey too, I feel like that was 
kind of what I did in those early stages coming from like the really traditional nutrition training where it's all about like, you know, it's all about carbs, protein, and fat, but not the actual ingredients. And then going to culinary school. And of course they just use all of the, you know, standard culinary ingredients. And then just learning about things like, oh my gosh, sea salt's not supposed to be white or salt isn't supposed to be white. Like if it has a full spectrum of minerals, it's actually kind of gray or maybe pink. It actually has some color to it. Those simple changes were really how I started back in the day too. And we don't even realize how quickly it adds up when we're like, oh, let's just make those simple changes. So I really, really love that. And what you will find, what most people find is that once you change the quality of the oil, the quality of salt and how much and what type of sweeteners you're using, that starts to change your taste buds. And then when you change your taste buds, then when you go and buy a processed meal that has the crappy oil and the, the processed sodium, it doesn't, it's not as appealing anymore. Like you're, it doesn't do the same for you. You start to feel like, wait, why is there that gross coating in my mouth from what I just ate? And that's the, these lousy oils. Um, and that be, can become its own motivator too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So something that I have talked a lot about here on the podcast and something that I love talking about is intuitive eating. So learning how to eat in a way that feels good for our body without relying on these diets that so many people jump on. But I think a lot of what people come to me with then, you know, after kind of being on this journey of going, I'm not going to do those diets anymore and I'm going to eat intuitively is like, well, now how do I actually incorporate nutrition in. I feel like I'm never going to want, I'm never going to crave those healthy foods. And I'm like, well, once you start eating those foods that are more nutrient dense, that are those healthy swaps, you start craving them because it makes your body feel good. It does start to happen naturally, but you have to actually bring them in. So I love that you're bringing that in where it's like, no, we can make these simple changes. And then it is really cool how our body just starts to naturally enjoy those type of foods and enjoy those flavors too. There's so much flavor in food. If we are actually eating food and not, yeah. you know, what might not be considered food. I mean, okay, I guess it's food, but <laughs> it's, 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 a, highly it's processed. a type of food, but you know, I think about if you've ever had the, I mean, I've never done this, but let's say you break up with someone <laughs> and then you're like, you know, let me just, you run into them somewhere. You're like, you know what? Okay, fine. Let's go out for a drink again. Let's go out for a cup of coffee again. And you get back into that. And then you remember all the reasons why you broke up with that person in the first place. <laughs> That's kind of what a lousy diet does. Like you'll make changes and you'll be like, you know what? Oh, just this once it'll be fine. But then you wake up the next day and you have indigestion or body pain or a headache or nausea or whatever it is. You're like, oh, right. This is still not working for me. And it can be that reminder to keep pushing you along and being consistent with, with what your, what your intentions are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where the balance comes in. Right. I'm like, if you want to go and you eat all those foods, you can do it. Like that's, that's part of what balance is about, but recognizing that, okay, if you don't feel that great, then maybe we don't want to eat like that on the regular. Maybe that's a once a year type of thing or (laughs) something like that. So you're actually eating in a way that feels good. So yeah, I love that. Okay. So let's talk about making healthy food more delicious then, which is my favorite topic. I loved, I love talking about this. So what are some of your favorite ways to teach in the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, how to make or how to encourage people to start making healthy food just a little bit more delicious. The first is to, you know, we talked about eating seasonally. So the first is to ensure that the foods you're eating are good quality. Because if you start with really good ingredients, you don't, again, you don't have to do much to them. And I'm a big advocate of ensuring that the food tastes like how it's supposed to. So Mm -hmm. I don't like when ingredients 
or like have quotes around them. Like when meals get quotes around them to pretend like there's something else. Like I totally get like the, the, you know, there'll be like the vegan tuna salad, which is really made out of chickpeas. I would just call it a chickpea salad (laughs) because it's not tuna. And whether you like tuna or not, not part of the conversation or vegan or not, it doesn't matter. But so if you can let your foods be sort of, as they'd say in yoga, in the full expression of their pose, like what they're really meant to be. And then you play around with flavors that complement them. So if, you know, we were talking about broccoli, you can take a head of broccoli and you either lightly steam it or grill it and squeeze a bit of lemon juice on it and then put some toasted sesame seeds on it and maybe a little bit of sesame oil or, or a regular oil and some sea salt. You can, you can taste everything that's in it. And there's no need to overcomplicate the food. So when you use those good ingredients and you prepare them in simple ways, combine them mindfully where everything kind of gets to be in its full expression of how delicious and wonderful it is, most whole foods work really nicely together on a plate. So if you're making that that broccoli and then you want a piece of grilled fish or a piece of grilled tofu and you make a sauce that goes on either, um, and you're, you know, you're cooking it mindfully and you're using whole ingredients to make that sauce, it becomes much simpler. So if you're making it, say you're doing like tahini with some tamari and garlic and lemon juice and a little bit of olive oil and, you know, water to the desired consistency, could drizzle that on anything and it's delicious. It's not overpowering. You're using all natural ingredients. There's no flavoring agents. There's no coloring agents. There's no, um, you know, monosodium glutamate or any type of flavor enhancers that will overpower what you're making. And that can also be a way, you know, you talked about intuitive eating. That can also be a way for you to guide that intuitive process because you can't, the body doesn't ever overindulge on typically won't overindulge on things in their whole and natural form. No one's going to eat five heads of broccoli. (laughs) But if you look at, you know, a processed potato chip, you can go overboard on that because it's been doctored so much. Yes. Yeah. No, that's so true. And uh, it's it's really interesting to think about that way too. And to go, yeah, I mean, when foods are prepared in a way that they are in their whole form, but they are also delicious, they're really appealing, but then we're satisfied from them. And so our bodies are satisfied from them and our taste buds are satisfied from them. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that, you know, we can steam the broccoli or we can grill the broccoli or we could roast the broccoli. There's so many different ways we can prepare it. It doesn't have to just be this one way. It's not just like the steamed broccoli and that's the only healthy way. In fact, I much prepare bro- I much prefer broccoli with that sesame oil and the sesame seeds and a good quality sea salt. And that's so much, so much more delicious for me. And then I'm way more likely, I mean, I'm going to eat broccoli either way because I like broccoli, <laughs> but yeah. for a lot of people, I think they're more likely to eat it that way as well. Um, and I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Or like, no, how about not making it where you microwave it to death and then pour melted <laughs> cheese over it? Like, because if you microwave any food to death, you're going to need to put something on it to make it palatable because you've just created like a soggy bit of rubber or something. Um, yes. So, you know, being mindful in those preparations are going to be important. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it always surprises me too, the very simple preparations or the more simple preparations I use with vegetables, especially are the ones that my kids tend to prefer. Like roasted broccoli with sea salt is my three-year-old's favorite. And she will, we actually have to like portion out our broccoli when I make roasted broccoli. So me and the other members of my family actually get some because she'll eat the entire tray. And I don't just don't have that many, that much room in my oven to make that much broccoli. That child will eat so much roasted broccoli. There's other vegetables she doesn't love. She is certainly not a quote unquote perfect eater, um, but they love just simply like s- simple sauteed kale. They love it in coconut oil with some garlic powder and sea salt. And I'm not doing anything crazy to it. And we're getting fresh kale sometimes. Hopefully it's local for my dad's garden. Not always, but sometimes it is. Um, and those are, you know, it's same thing with our kids. Oftentimes we think that, and I'm a fan of your kids eating broccoli, even if they dip it in some sort of sauce, hopefully it's a homemade sauce that you've made and that's delicious. Um, but you know, I think that oftentimes we think that our kids will only eat food if it is, you know, the broccoli that's been microwaved and topped with cheese sauce. But even with our kids, I think that they can also recognize those really delicious whole foods as well. So I think that's actually a really good segue because I would I would love to talk to you about your almost four-year-old Finn as well, because you are a mom now. You're definitely not a mom when we left the city years ago. So, so because I think we've been here for six years now. Um, so how did you start to kind of introduce these principles of culinary nutrition and whole foods to him from the start? Yeah, so I'm sure like you, I'm making assumptions now. Um, he was he's been in the kitchen with us since he was born. Like we had one of those bouncy chairs that we put on the counter, even though it weren't the, you know, you're warned not to put them on the counter, but we did. Um, and so it's just been part of it. Like he has a learning tower, so mm-hmm. he can stand at counter height in our kitchen. And from around when he was almost 18 months, we started giving him jobs like tearing the kale or we got him a little wooden knife to chop mushrooms and chop tofu and, the, you know, give him jobs where he could help and be part of it. So that was the first key thing. Uh, we have a garden in our backyard, so we're fortunate to have the space to do that. And so from even when he was two, he would know what he could pick off and eat from the garden. So we'd pick off cherry tomatoes or little leaves of basil and he would eat those right out of the garden. Um, this past winter, uh, we normally go away in the winter, but we weren't able to this year. So I started my indoor, what I call my indoor farm. And Finley and I were growing sprouts and microgreens and we'd come, he'd bring them to my office, which is where we had it set up and he would spritz them and help me cut them off and eat them. And so part of it, from the beginning was really sharing with him where food comes from and how it grows. And he doesn't even go to the supermarket much anymore because it's a bit of an ordeal right now. Um, but so knowing, you know, where, where it comes from. And then when he does go to the store with us, it's, we explain to him why we choose things. And as he's getting older, you know, he sees what they, you know, strategically put at eye level for children. He's like, I want that. I want that. And we just explain why, you know, that looks like a great option, but it's not right for us. Here's what we're going to choose. And this is why. And so it always comes from that place. And yes, he's gotten much more selective in, you know, the last few months, I'd say, but I still hold to, there's one meal for everyone. I show him everything that's available for dinner. I let him choose what he wants on his own plate. And if it's only sweet potato for tonight, that's fine. That's what he's chosen. And I'm not going to force it. And we've given him the the freedom to choose. And just so long as all the options he gets to choose from are ones that I'm okay with, then, then I don't limit it. 
in any other way and just trust that, you know, they are the true intuitive eaters, these little ones. Um, and just trust that he knows what, what his little body needs. And, and, you know, we obviously want to make sure he's getting his protein and, and his fats. And so when he has sweet potatoes, I'll like drizzle some oil on them and I'll be like, do you want some hemp seeds sprinkled on them and offer him those options? So I think that, you know, getting them involved from the beginning, giving them some choice within your comfort boundaries. So it's not like I made 85 things for dinner. What do you want? It's like, these are the four things you can choose for dinner. What do you want from there? Um, And also trusting that if he's not hungry, he's not hungry. And some days he'll eat like five breakfasts and some days he won't eat that much at all in the morning and he'll eat later or, you know, considering his intake over the 24 hour period. But that education piece, like they are sponges. And so whatever we're eating, he wants to eat. We make these um, elixir drinks in the morning. They're like hot drinks with uh, like a dandelion root extract and raw cacao where Josh has this elixir product with different types of adaptogenic herbs in it. And we we don't put any sweetener in it at all. And he loves them. Like he wants his own portion every morning. It's just because it's what we drink in the morning. And so setting that example is also really important. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. My three-year-old gets offended if I make a smoothie without her because that's what I have for breakfast pretty much every morning. And so she'll come and she puts whatever greens that I'm putting in the smoothie in the smoothie with me. So she'll sit on the counter and she'll put them in. And every so often we're in a rush to get her off to daycare and I'll like take it with me. It's the best fast food, right? (laughs) It's having a smoothie. And so I'll get it together quickly and she'll go, mama, I help. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm making it right now. Like as it's blending and she'll like, she'll get so upset. And I'm like my sweet, sweet, um, uh, more sensitive child type. (laughs) Cause I've got two and one of them, one of them's definitely more sensitive. And so I've got to make time for her to help me, but yeah, she's throwing those huge handfuls of greens in the smoothie. And ever so often I'm like, okay, okay, that's enough. I like my smoothie green, but that's like a a whole head of kale. That's a lot. (laughs) So I love that leading by example and him really being there in the garden with you, whether it's indoors or outdoors. I know my my kids help my parents. Uh, My parents live about 45 minutes away and they help my dad with his garden because he has that big, beautiful garden as well. So what a cool experience. And I think a lot of parents are afraid to bring their kids into the kitchen because they're like, oh my gosh, it's going to take longer or, you know, it's going to be. Oh a- yeah. It definitely <laughs> takes longer. It's definitely messier. Yes. And I am also extremely messy in the kitchen. <laughs> Josh, my husband, I didn't know. I sometimes call him Danny Tanner for anyone who watched Full House. Like he'd fall, fall over around with a dustbuster. And what I always remind Josh is like, is he doing permanent damage? Like not, none of this is permanent. It can all be cleaned up. Yes, like some, you know, for baking bread together, some flour is going to be wasted. It's going to end up on the floor. But that's part of the teaching process and also not nitpicking them when they do spill and when they, you know, they're, they are trying their best. Um, and giving them the space to to enjoy that that connection with the parent who they're with and that creative process, and that it is an enjoyable um, time of, of you know quality time is a is a powerful thing that we are basically programming into their DNA when they're little. Yes, yeah, and we have to eat a few times a day, right? Right. And so we're already in the kitchen and, you know, maybe we're not home for lunch or maybe we're rushing at breakfast, but there's at least three opportunities in any given day, at least several days during the week where we can create that community and we can get in the kitchen together and they can see what we're cooking. And I know that I've found with kids a lot, um, 
and I've taught kids cooking classes as well. When the kids are actually involved in the meal, they're much more likely to even taste it. Even if they don't eat the whole thing, they're much more likely to even just taste it because they've been a part of it. So it's so cool. (laughs) So I know that we've talked about that you're a mom, you're a crazy successful entrepreneur, you're a home gardener, right? Um, So let's talk about balance, right? The (laughs) Balance is part of part of the name, the title of my podcast. However, we know that, you know, balance is different for everyone. So how do you balance it all? How do you nourish yourself well without burning out? So what are your kind of must-do routines for you as a mom, as an entrepreneur? How do you make that work? Good question. So you mentioned, I don't remember if it was when we were catching up before you hit record or after, but you talked about how I worked like crazy and I did used to work like crazy. And I did it with a very specific intention in mind, which was that once my son arrived, I would no longer work like crazy. Mm. Um, And I'm not always great at it because my default is to work. I love what I do. And, and, you know, like, like your business, there isn't a clear divide between what is a workday and what is making a meal for the family and what, you know, it's all, you know, it's one feeds into the other in both directions. Something that we maintain, Josh and I, is um, ensuring that we, for most of the day, we are choosing what we get to do. And to me, that helps feel like balance because we enjoy it. And the other component that is is really powerful for us is ensuring that we have the time we need to recharge when we need to recharge. And so my daily routine right now is that I get up around 6, 6.30 and I work out in the morning and I do the five-minute journal every day, which I highly recommend. Um, and then we get my son. He usually wakes up around 7. So one of us either showers and, or, or gets some breakfast. We take turns. And so we get So we have breakfast together. Um, get him dressed, get him. We take one, we take him to school. Usually we, we all bike together to school to take him and then we go off to work and then we take turns picking him up, which is really nice that, you know, I, Josh has his, his days where his work day ends early and his dad day starts earlier. And, you know, I have mine and a really big thing we do, which I recognize is not available to everyone, but we take Fridays off. So I don't work Fridays anymore. So from a 60-hour work week I had when I was building my business, I'm down to around 28 hours mm-hmm. and have learned to really empower. And I've built a team and empowered them to make decisions and trust their decisions. And so on Fridays, Josh and I spend time, just the two of us together, which is usually when we record our podcast, but also when we do things like take a sauna, um, do any personal development. We'll take, that's when I, I always, I'm always taking courses. So that's when I'll work on the courses I'm taking, which could be seen as part of work because it usually goes into my work in some way. Um, and, and I have like a strict limit on weekends that, you know, as an introvert, I can't be out all the time. Now it's not an option, which hasn't really impacted my life, but only having one commitment per day on the weekend. So we're not doing something in the morning and something else in the afternoon and something at the end of the day, because it's just too much. I know for our son, he likes to have downtime at home just to like hang out in his pajamas Saturday morning and, and do that. And we'll usually cook something and do that. So for us, to me, that's my idea of balance. And I don't subscribe to the more is more. I recognize that as a business owner, there's opportunity costs to setting those limits in that, yes, I could work more and I can make more money and I could have bigger impact. I can do all that. But what's the point 
if I don't get to enjoy the time in between. And for me, everything I do is for that space in between when I get to enjoy the, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like the fruits of our labor for us to really enjoy and be present in the life that we've created through the work that we're so fortunate and blessed to still be able to do and still love doing, you know, almost 15 years later. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And that is definitely something that I'm working on in my own life. Um, So that spoke to me very deeply in that really deciding how we're going to spend our time. And as as entrepreneurs, that's what we get to do, right? So we might as well enjoy that opportunity. Yeah. And like setting those boundaries for yourself kindly and lovingly. And I know when we connected about this, I said, okay, these are the days that I'm available. And, and that's it. I could have said like, I'm available any Friday, anytime but that's an abuse of my own boundary. Mm. And for me, um, having that discipline to do that is really critical. And, and, you know, I do have an incredible group of women um, who basically now run my company, run the school. And when I check in with them on Friday and Ash says to me, Megan, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, I don't know. I felt like something was going on. I like felt like I was missing out. Um, and so, you know, being really clear because entrepreneurs typically have the attitude of like, go, go, go. And the type A and the FOMO and that discipline, which is our greatest strength and can be our greatest weakness. Um, Cause what you don't want to happen is you, you know, you burn out and then, then there's nothing left Then you don't have the fuel to give to, you know, what and why you're doing it all. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the same thing, if we are moms and just living this busy mom life, we might not be able to have the same opportunity to take an entire day a week off as, you know, some entrepreneurs can, but we can still carve out that time for ourselves because we are going to show up as better versions of ourselves. If we are, you know, the whole notion of you've got to fill your cup first to pour out to others. I, I don't think that we actually practically take that opportunity as much as we can. There's always that opportunity to go to bed a little bit earlier and just shut off Netflix earlier and wake up a half an hour earlier. I know I did a podcast interview a couple weeks ago um, talking about stress and the impact of stress on our bodies physiologically. And we were talking about my morning routine that has gotten uh, much longer over the last couple of years since my since my youngest has gotten older and we're out of the stage of like the nursing and all of that stuff where she was up early and things, thankfully she sleeps a little bit later. And so I'm able to have a more extensive morning routine, but I'm like, it was an intentional choice where I had to actually decide that I wasn't going to stay up as late so I could wake up in the morning. There's always those opportunities. So I'm really glad that you brought that up where you're, you're making that choice and you're creating that balance for yourself because yeah. it is possible if we, one if of, we decide- yeah. One of the metrics I've been using lately is to try every week, you know, your phone, like I have an iPhone and it'll send you like how much screen time you had the previous week. And my goal is for it to always be down. Like for it to say, you are down 15% over last week. And like to keep, because if you have 20 minutes a day to scroll on a social media app, you have 20 minutes to meditate. You have time to take a 20 minute bath. You can read a fiction book for 20 minutes. Like we can find the time when we recognize the priority. And what I have found in no longer working from, you know, 9 a.m. to 7 or 8 p.m., five days, six, seven, sometimes seven days a week, is that I'm able to get more done, being more efficient at it. So taking Fridays off, I don't have a lower workload than I used to. It's that I have to be better at how I organize my time the other four days that I'm not wasting it. 
and that I'm really efficient with team meetings and I'm really efficient on what I say yes to and what I decline because I just don't have the capacity in the week. And so, yes, it can be seen as a luxury. And if you're employed, it's not necessarily an option, but there's always ways that you can make your time more efficient and make better use of the free time. You know, 16 hours we're awake a day, roughly. So if eight hours you're working, you have eight more hours to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I've never thought of it in that kind of hour perspective as well. It's a yeah. lot of time. Yes, that's a lot more time than we often think. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk just a little bit about the the practical side of eating on a day-to-day basis. So we've got our, our daily routine. You've got your Fridays that are off and you're taking that time to do the personal development, to do the sauna, to take care of yourself in that way. So what about the, the day-to-day actually getting those meals on the table? So what are some of those, I know you mentioned your morning elixirs. So what are some of those maybe culinary nutrition approved staples you always keep in your house or things that you always buy in the store every week so that the woman who's listening can actually practically go, Oh, okay, I could buy those things too. And maybe that's one, one step I can take. Right. So, you know, operating a cooking school for so long, that was also in my home. I learned how to run a kitchen from a wholesale business perspective. I now run my home kitchen that way. So it's rare that there's something I have to buy in the store every week because I, most places you can open wholesale accounts and you save a ton of money and you save a ton of time. So the staples that we have, we order by the case. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that not everyone is in a financial situation that can make that happen. But if you're able to plan that out over the long, like not even long-term, but you know, over a six month period, you can save a lot of money and a lot of time by doing that. So there's certain things we stock in bulk, like an organic avocado oil. We buy ghee in bulk because we eat a lot of the clarified butter. Uh, we buy our nuts and seeds in five pound bags, um, store them and then just have in jars what, you know, what we're going to need for the next week or two. Um, I buy grains that way. And I also started (laughs) grinding and making my own flour, which I know is an extreme thing, but it's just our effort to start to do more and more ourselves and have less and less packaging. Um, but in terms of like week by week meals, we have our staples, of the meals, which is usually like baked chicken with two vegetables and like a brown rice, like a very basic staple. And we just try and change up those vegetables each week. We have for breakfast, like certain breakfasts we rotate through. So our son will have like a yogurt with a homemade granola and some fruit, or he'll have boiled eggs with a piece of gluten-free sourdough bread, or he'll have scrambled eggs or so we like, it's nothing out of the ordinary or unusual. It's what most people eat who are cooking from scratch. And we have, and what I actually do on on my phone, like I don't even have a fancy meal planning app. I feel like Kristen, you probably have like a really fancy meal planning system. (laughs) I have a meal planner. So I don't use an app just because, so I do, I do have a meal planner, but it's not that fancy. (laughs) Do you have like a meal planner that you like stick on your fridge and stuff? I have an actual physical meal planner that I sell too. So I have like my actual book that I I need to, I'm going to buy that. So what we have, um, I'm opening my phone to look at it in, in shame 
as I speak to like the queen of planning. Um, but we have basically, it's a list of meal options, like 30 different meals that we kind of cycle yeah. through. And then a list of all the ingredients we buy at the supermarket, all the ingredients we buy at the butcher, um, all the ingredients we'd buy at like, if we need to go to like a health food store for specific things that wouldn't be at the, at this, at the grocery store. And basically all we do is like on Sunday, we're like, what are we making this week? And I'll check off like the five meals. I don't plan more than five meals in a week because there's usually leftovers or whatever. And then that's how I meal plan. So it's like, it's such a simple way to go about it. And then because it's kind of the same, most often the same meals we cycle through, usually on the weekend is when I'll like explore and do something new and different and have more time and more fun with it. But, you know, day to day, we're still picking our son up, coming home by like 4.35. We need dinner on the table by 5.30 or it's like toddler tantrum at the table. So it's figuring out those 30 minute meals. And so we keep them really, really simple. And whether it's, you know, tacos where, you know, he can put what he wants in it or stuffed sweet potatoes where he can put what he wants on it or, you know, the baked chicken or we do last night, we had like a brown rice bowl with tofu and some shiitake mushrooms and sea vegetables and, and some avocado. And I may have a little bit of dressing with it. Um, but so we do these kinds of meals that often allow some flexibility or build your own or where he could have the components separate from how the full meal comes. And so the, I mean, the basics we have, I'm like thinking my fridge, it's like the broccoli, the cauliflower, sweet potatoes. Um, it's nothing unusual and it's nothing that's over the top impressive or fancy. It's just how we get those, those staple meals together quickly. I think where we kind of are superstars is that we do all of our prep as soon as we get home from the store. And that's a non-negotiable so that when we do have to get that meal on the table in 30 minutes, the work is done. It's mostly assembly where we can still give our son the attention. Usually we he comes home, he sits at the counter while he has his snack and one of us is prepping the dinner and can chat with him and he sees what we're doing. And if possible, we give him a job to do to contribute to it. I love that you are like, it, it is simple. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing extravagant. And your meal planning system is not that different than mine either. Even though I've got the fancy meal planning book, <laughs> fancy, not so fancy. Um, yeah, it's very similar to mine too. I only plan for five days a week. And, you know, you know, sometimes we have more elaborate meals, especially if I'm recipe testing. But other than that, it's simple too, because when we're busy moms, that's what we need. We need simple. And I think sometimes going back to that feeling of intimidation, you know, you hear a culinary nutrition and you're like, oh my goodness, it's going to be these crazy extravagant meals every single night. But you live a real life and you and Josh are busy and your kiddo goes to school and you have that same schedule and you're still eating foods that are delicious and you're still eating foods that are nutrient dense, but you're just, you're simplifying it and you're making it work for you. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I too have like this, this, like I look on Instagram and I'm like, as if that person made that for breakfast for everyone on a Wednesday, like, come on, I don't believe that. And like, maybe they are, but that's not me. <laughs> yes. Oh, breakfast or is the hardest meal in the house for us. I try to meal prep breakfast for my kids, but most of the time they're over it in a couple of days. So I made these really delicious, um, we call them sunshine muffins. They're like orange coconut carrot muffins and they were all over them and they ate like six of them in a day. And then, and that was on Sunday and then Monday came and they were like, we don't want that for breakfast. I'm like, of course you don't. So they went in the freezer and we'll have them another time for breakfast. And 
that's fine. But we cycle through very similar, very simple breakfast too. Like my, right now my three-year-old is into kefir and fruit and like, that's all she wants for breakfast. And I'm like, okay. you know what? You've It's whole milk kefir. She's got some healthy fats in there. She's got some protein. She's got some fruit. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. We're good yeah. with that. It's the fine. The fanciest we get is uh, like, we'll make like a big batch of pancakes on the weekend and then freeze them. And so if you want yes. pancakes, we're like, please go in the toaster. Now you, yes. now you got pancakes, fancy Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah. And it feels, it feels fancy to them and it's still made from those really great ingredients, but you created your own convenience and that's what I'm all about. So I love that. Yeah. I really appreciate that simple perspective that we can make this work even in our, even in our busy lives. So, so I have three really fun kind of rapid fire questions that I love to ask all of my guests, but first I would love for you to just share with my listeners where they can connect with you more, where they can learn more about the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. If they're like, okay, I want to learn more about this, or maybe I want to become an instructor myself. Yeah. So we have registration open now for our September term and all of that is at culinarynutrition.com. I host a monthly information session as well. So for anyone who's really interested, you have to come because they're, they're not just like information sessions. They're sort of dance parties. You have to show up to understand how it works. No one is forced to dance. Don't worry. And you're not seen, but, um, so I, so that's where the work is for my school and at the school, in addition to the 14 week flagship program, we also have some smaller standalone programs for people who really want to get started. A great one is everyday culinary nutrition, which basically summarizes everything I've said, or maybe elaborates on it, but it's really about how you take these principles and apply them in your kitchen on a day-to-day basis. What the really great, simple shortcuts are, um, really simple meals with infinite modification options. And that's at culinarynutrition.com forward slash culinary. For me and what I'm doing, I'm at megantelpner.com, which is sort of my personal website, personal blog. And I'm usually writing on there, but whatever it is, I'm diving deep into personally, like indoor growing of microgreens or uh, I'm trying to think what we recently had. I recently just shared a zucchini muffin recipe, which is really good. Kids will like that one. Uh, Yeah. So that's, that's where you can find out about me. Awesome. And your website is as always just so colorful and fun with like the unicorn riding the bike like, coming across the page. So I love it. It's so very you. Um, and so yeah, it's it's so fun. And I love all the work that you are continuing to put into the world. So I hope they'll they'll go check everything out from you if they haven't already. So my last three fun questions for you. The first one, and we've been talking about this basically the whole time, but what is your favorite thing to cook? Oh, I love, I love sourdough bread. I know it's baking, but it's a new skill I picked up a couple, about a year and a half ago and it never ceases to challenge me. I might like, I might be like, this was the perfect proofing and then I bake it and it falls flat. And so it's just always an adventure and always challenging. And I think it keeps me on my toes. So I really enjoy baking sourdough. Does that count as cooking? baking? I think it does. I think it's more challenging than cooking because I have the culinary background, but we started doing sourdough last year during the pandemic as well. I took an online cooking class and learned how to actually do the whole sourdough process from like the, the starter and all that. And so my kids helped me with it and we named it and we, we did it as well, but yeah, it's, it's very challenging to go through very humbling to figure out what worked and what didn't. And we're very humid here because we're on an Island. And so it's, yeah. So I, that totally counts. (laughs) Okay. So my second question is, what is your favorite thing to eat if someone else is cooking for you, or maybe you're getting takeout? What is your, what is your favorite thing to eat? (laughs) 
Gosh, well, for takeout, there's a great pizza place in Toronto called Pizza Pizzeria Libretto that does a delicious gluten-free crust. <laughs> so I think when you were here, they probably didn't have the gluten-free yet. But mm. um, that for us, especially in the last year when we can't really go out for dinner and it kind of limits what you can pick up and bring home, um, that is one of our favorites. If someone else is cooking, I mean, my mom makes an amazing roast chicken dinner, Mm. but really like whatever Josh makes for dinner, I'm just over the, over the moon thrilled because we split dinner 50, 50. And so if I come home from work and he's made dinner, I will love it and eat it no matter what it is. And I'm just grateful that he has that skill and does it. Yes. That break is so nice. Yeah. (laughs) And oh my gosh, I miss pizza libretto so much. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I think they had the spelt crust. The last time I had, it was probably about, it was about four years ago because I was pregnant with my littlest Ren when I went to visit Jen. I went to visit Jen in Toronto. You know, Jen. I do. (laughs) And I went to visit her about four years ago. And uh, that was the last time we had it. We had to go to Pizza Libretto. I miss it. It's so good. So next time I'm up there, I'm going to have to go. (laughs) Yeah. And we had, we had like a little bit of a spike of heat a couple weeks ago here. And so we, and like, we don't order out maybe once every few months. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like a beautiful Friday after school and we went to the park and it was sunny and I was like, I'm not making dinner. I don't want to go home and do this. So we ordered it and we ate it on the front porch and like, that's my idea of a good time. (laughs) Yes. Oh, so good. We don't have any places like that around here. So like we've got pizza places, but they're not pizza libretto. So I'm a little jealous. (laughs) So my last question is, this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, and we already talked a little bit about the word balance, but uh, balance is different for us in every season. So what does balance look like for you in this season? Uh, that's such, I'm, I looked at these questions because rapid fire questions always make me really nervous. Um, I think in this season, and I can speak from only someone living in Ontario right now, because I think we're living in a bit of a different uh, space than a lot of the rest of North America. Um, but, but for me in the season, balance is really focusing on mental health and, and happiness in, in our day-to-day life. And I recently did this really... Um, powerful exercise, which was to make a list of all the things I do that cause me to lose track of time. Mm -hmm. And it, so basically it's like when you're in your zone or to think of another way, when you're really your truest expression of yourself or, you know, come working from a source. And so when I did that, it was meditation, it was gardening or taking care of my plants. It was doing a craft project. It was doing a recipe creation. It was playing with my son, um, exercising. Um, and so to me, the more I can do more of those things in this season, the more balanced I will feel. And what I found really, um, freeing about it is that those things don't cost a thing. I don't need permission to do them. I don't need, they don't take away from my work life. They enhance my work life. They enhance my personal life. And I think that that is, can be a really powerful exercise for everyone to do, um, no matter what this season looks like for anyone, to really find that place of balance that brings us to our ultimate, what I think we all want is to feel happy and fulfilled and present and calm and, and joyful. 
What a perfect way to to end things. I wholeheartedly agree. I love that exercise. And now I want to go ahead and do that one myself because, yeah, I can imagine that's really powerful to to reflect on that. So thank you so much for being on, Megan. This was so fun. It was so fun to reconnect with you. And the tips you gave were so practical and so incredible, as I knew that they would be. And I'm sure everyone is going to be so grateful for them as well. Well, thank you. And it's been so fun watching all the amazing things you're doing. And, you know, thank you for the work you're doing and supporting the mamas because we sure do need it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.